We have been in this series about the Holy Ghost for, uh, this is our 11th week. And so originally it was supposed to be a six-week series. And uh, we just, I, I felt that the Lord was leading us to talk more about the gifts of the Spirit. And so uh, in addition to talking about the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit as well. And our last four gifts that we're going to be talking about are the spiritual gifts of apostleship, pastoring, evangelism, and teaching. And what we've been saying throughout this whole series is what? Whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes a spiritual discipline. That uh, there are many people who would use uh, the excuse that because I do not have that spiritual gift, I'm not required to step into that gifting. For example, evangelism is a big one that we're going to be talking about today. And I've heard many people say, well, I don't, I'm not good at talking to people about Jesus. I don't have the gift of evangelism, but we are all called to share our faith with people. Amen? We also hear about the gifts of, of mercy and encouragement and the gifts of giving. All believers are called to, sh- to extend mercy to others. All believers are called to have faith. All believers are, sp- are called to hear the voice of God and be able to share the words of God with other people. And so, for some people, the gifts come more naturally. And for the rest of us, those gifts that we do not have become spiritual disciplines in our life. So like I said, we're going to be talking about apostleship, pastoring, evangelism, and teaching. And these gifts are listed in both Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 7 and 8. I'll be reading from the NIV. It will also be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But here's what Ephesians 4 says this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 11 says, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it also lists these gifts as well. It says uh, in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And we mentioned this before, that when Paul says eagerly desire the greater gifts, he's referring to the gifts that benefit the church as a whole. That there are some gifts that benefit the individual, where we talked about in um, the, the, the gift of languages or speaking in tongues, that is a gift that edifies the individual unless there is an interpretation for the whole church to hear. So Paul says that the greater gifts are the ones that build up the church together. And many people, they've heard the list that we just read from Ephesians described as the fivefold ministry. Anybody heard this described as the fivefold ministry before? Apostles, prophets, 
teachers, pastors, and evangelists. And so uh, these, uh, it's been taught that these five roles are the five foundational elements of, of establishing a church, of building a church. And so many churches, they model their church after what is believed to be a five-fold ministry. So they have somebody in the church who is an apostle, somebody who is a prophet, somebody who is an evangelist, a teacher, and a pastor. And as a result of this verse, some believe that God has restored or he's restoring the offices of apostles and prophets in the church today. Because Ephesians 12, 13 tells us that the purpose of these five roles is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And then it says attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So since the body of Christ definitely is is not built up in unity in the faith and has not attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the thinking goes that the offices of apostle and prophet must still be in effect. There are still apostles and prophets in the world today. However, I want to offer this, this, this second mindset to you. We see that in Ephesians 2.20, because the question is, are, are these five things, apostleship, pastoring, evangelist, teaching, are, are these things offices? Are they roles? Are they people? Or are they spiritual gifts? And so I want to suggest, suggest to you this morning, and we're going to unpack this, that Paul is referring to, that Paul is, is talking about specific people in Ephesians 4. But what we have today are the spiritual gifts. And, and let, let me explain this. In Ephesians 2.20, it informs us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And if the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church, the question is, are we still building the foundation of the church? And my opinion is that although Jesus Christ is, he's definitely still active in the church today, his role as the chief cornerstone of the church was completed in his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Not to say that we don't have Jesus in church anymore, but he laid the foundation with the apostles and the prophets. He was the cornerstone. And if the work of the cornerstone is complete, then the work of the apostles and prophets, who were the foundation, is also also complete. We're going to continue talking about this a little bit more. But last month, last month we talked about the gift of prophecy and how New Testament apostles are the counterparts to Old Testament prophets. That New Testament prophets and Old Testament prophets have different roles, different functions, but Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles are the counterparts to one another. And the role of the apostles and the prophets were to proclaim God's revelation and to teach the truth to the church so that it could grow and thrive. And the apostles and prophets, uh, the apostles and prophets completed this mission. How did they complete this mission? They gave us the word of God. The word of God is the completed revelation of God. And the Bible contains everything the church needs to know to grow and thrive and fulfill God's mission. And the cornerstone work of the apostles and prophets, I believe, is now complete. But now the ongoing work of the apostles and prophets, it's still continuing. The work of the apostles and prophets are continuing today and they're manifested in the Holy Spirit through God's word and by gifts of the Spirit. And in that sense, the fivefold ministry is still active through the spiritual gifts of apostleship, prophecy, pastoring, teaching, and evangelism. We already covered the gift of prophecy in a two part message 
uh, weeks ago. We talked about how it differs from Old Testament prophecy, and we laid some theological foundations. And I encourage you to go online if you didn't listen to those two messages and, and catch up. And today we're going to talk about the other four gifts that are listed in Ephesians 4.11. So we're going to dive in and talk about each one of these gifts individually. So the first one is apostleship. Apostleship. It's pretty evident that Paul is referring to specific people when the word apostle is mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. The Greek word is apostolos. And specifically refers to the 12 disciples of Jesus and a few other eminent teachers who had witnessed, who had witnessed Jesus' resurrected body. And this includes Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. An apostle had two primary functions. And one of those functions is now complete, and the other lives on through the gift of the Spirit. So the two functions of the apostle, first and foremost, was an apostle confirmed the word of God. They attested to the gospel message of Jesus, and they had divine authority to write scripture. Paul was an apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament. We also had the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of those men were apostles. They had divine authority to write the scripture that you have today, that we have today. And Hebrews suggests that this function of the apostles is now completed. Listen to the past tense in Hebrews 2, 3, 3 and 4. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The past tense there is that it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who Heard. So the, the, first, the first role or the first function of an apostle was to confirm the word of God. And the second role of an apostle was an apostle was a church planter or a missionary. He was a church planter or a missionary. And this is a function of the apostles that we have today through gifts of the Spirit. The gift of apostleship is the special ability to introduce the message of Jesus to a particular group perhaps in a different culture. And apostleship is a pure leadership and expansion gift, pushing boundaries and overcoming obstacles as the church continues its God-given work under the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The gift of apostleship was given for the instruction and nurturing of believers and is not the same as the gift of a pastor. So the difference between these two gifts is that a pastor performs his duties to only one congregation. While the apostle establishes and equips local assemblies of believers, however, apostles can also exercise the gift of a pastor. He, he may start a church or remain there as a pastor. I say he, but I mean he or she. We have female apostles as well. And most likely, one with the gift of apostleship has a number of other gifts. That the Spirit has given them to complete difficult tasks of planting churches and nurturing believers. So one with the gift of apostleship, they've been given great vision to see the gospel brought into new places. And also they've been given strategy to see it strengthened in that place. 
they are good at raising up leaders and pastors to remain in that place so they can move on and bring the gospel to new locations. So an apostle is somebody who would move into a new territory that doesn't already have the gospel message there. And he plants a church there and he installs leaders. And what the apostle's good at is moving on to the next location and bringing the gospel somewhere else. So today, the gift of apostleship is, is very much seen in missionaries and in church planters or people who have multiple uh, campuses or networks where they, they go out and they plant multiple churches and they're able to help lead and guide all these different local assemblies. Let's move on to the gift of pastoring. In the New Testament, a pastor is also called a shepherd, and some translations even call a, a, the pastor a bishop. So you guys can all call me Bishop Blake if you want from now on, or reverend. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That would freak me out. In fact, the word translated pastor in Ephesians 4.11 comes from a word that means to shepherd. And shepherds have different functions. If you think of a literal shepherd who takes care of his sheep, a shepherd cares for others by spiritually feeding them. And so like a shepherd physically provides for sheep, a pastor spiritually feeds the church. In John 21, 15, when Peter totally messed up and he, he denied Jesus three times before he went to the cross, Jesus restored Peter back to himself, had a conversation with him on the beach and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then what did Jesus tell Peter to do? He said, go and feed my sheep, feed my lambs. How does it feel that we as followers of Jesus are referred to as sheep? Does that make you feel good at all? No, it doesn't make me feel good at all. But this is, this is the analogy that we're given. Feed my lambs. He's, he's referring to spiritual nourishment, not physical nourishment. A second thing that a shepherd does is that shepherds lead others by example. And Paul, he writes a book to Titus, and he gives him some qualifications of a pastor. Now listen to this list of things that he says a bishop or a pastor should be. This is a weighty piece of scripture. He says, for a bishop, this is uh, Titus 1, 7 through 9. He says, for a bishop... As God's steward must be blameless, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or addicted to wine or violent or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable, a lover of goodness, prudent, upright, devout, self-controlled. He must have a firm grasp on the word that is trustworthy in accordance with the teaching so that he may be able both to preach with sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. A heavy list for those who... Want to be a pastor who want to pastor and you don't have to have a stage and a microphone to be a pastor But there are many people in this room In fact, there's many people on our council who I consider to be pastors and they pastor me They are men who are trustworthy who model the character of god But they also have a firm grasp on scripture and they help guide me. They help lead me I also have a pastor. I have a boss. I have a district supervisor that I answer to not only that but I have area pastors uh, that I answer to. So, so directly above me, I would go to my area pastor who has about eight or nine churches in his area. And then above that, there is a district supervisor that we answer to. And so, there, we, so I have a pastor as well. I have somebody that I go to to hear sound doctrine and to, to see somebody model the character of Christ for me. Shepherds, number three, are also to be servants. There's there to be servants. 
First Peter 5, 2 and 3 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, money but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The pastor is to provide spiritual leadership, and he is to serve the people and not to be served by them. And Jesus modeled this perfectly, didn't he? Before he went to the cross, he was in a room with his disciples, and he shared communion with them, but he also washed their feet. And as he was washing their feet, he looked at them and said, I am your teacher. I am your master. I am over you, but you see me serving you. And this is my role, that I've come to serve you. I've come to minister to you. And he says, so he tells his disciples, in the same way, you are to go and serve others. A shepherd is supposed to be a servant, not be served by the people that they oversee. So the pastoral gift is the capacity to exercise concern and care for members of a group so as to encourage them in their growth in Christ, which involves modeling maturity, protecting them from error, and disseminating truth. The gift of a pastor is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to assume a long-term personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of a group of believers. So they are invested. They're committed to the spiritual growth of a group of people. Like I said, I, I think that uh, there are many, many pastors in this room. People who I believe have this, have this gift to counsel and to provide wisdom. And they model maturity and they have a grasp on the word of God. So we've talked about the gift of apostleship, the gift of pastoring. Let's talk about the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is a God-given ability to properly interpret and explain God's word to others. And the gift of teaching is a very important gift, and it's listed in several of the lists of spiritual gifts. But there's a difference between teaching and illumination, and there's also a difference between teaching and prophecy, and sometimes they can get inter- mingled together. But the difference is this. Illumination is when the Holy Spirit takes a truth of God And he makes it real to a person. Teaching, on the other hand, is when someone explains God's truth to others. And the gift of teaching does not necessarily mean that the teacher has a superior knowledge by no means. The teacher understands the truth of God and he's able to clearly explain it to others. And we see an example of this in Acts chapter 8 where Philip is walking on the road and he sees an Ethiopian in a chariot and he's reading from Isaiah 53, but he doesn't have any idea what he's reading. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to that man in the chariot. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31, it says, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he says, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said. Unless someone explains it. Has anybody felt like that when reading scripture before? How can I understand this? I need somebody to explain it to me. I've been there so many times. Somebody please help me. What do I know? what, What is the Bible saying? So the Ethiopian invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip began to unpack Isaiah 53 and tell him about how this prophet 
Isaiah was referring to Jesus who recently died and was resurrected. And the Ethiopian came to believe in Jesus. And they pulled the chariot over on the side of the road. And he was baptized in the water. And then scripture says that when he came out of the water, Philip just disappeared. And was taken to a different place. How cool is that? I want to see that happen in my life. He was teleported. That's right. He was transported. Pretty cool. Teleported is not in the Bible. Don't worry. I'm not talking about superpowers here. So the difference between illumination and teaching is that illumination is a work of the Holy Spirit. When he reveals something to someone, makes it real to a person. You can read Isaiah 53. You can even know what it's about. But when the Holy Spirit illuminates Isaiah 53 and you understand that this is for me, that he was wounded for my transgressions and it becomes real to you, that is when the Holy Spirit illuminates something in your spirit. There's a difference between teaching and prophecy as well. Prophecy is when someone delivers a spontaneous message that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily from Scripture. Oftentimes, when somebody delivers a prophetic word, it, uh, it, it is from scripture, scripture, and it always aligns under Scripture. It always comes under the authority of Scripture. But it is a spontaneous message that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, whereas teaching comes from the Word of God, and it's the ability to explain the Word of God to others. And we see throughout Scripture... That the gift of teaching, we also have many people in this room with the gift of teaching as well. And teaching is a weighty gift. We read in scripture that there is a weight that comes with teaching. And there's an emphasis on it. Number one, uh, teaching is part of the great commission. It's what Jesus told his disciples to do in Matthew 28, 16. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So teaching is part of the Great Commission. It's one of the things that this this Great Commission isn't just for some of us. It's for all of us. Remember what we talked about. Whatever is not a spiritual gift is a spiritual discipline. So we all have to learn to an extent how to explain Scripture to other people, how to teach the Word of God to others. The weight of teaching. We also see that biblical teaching is what invited persecution from the early church. You want to get persecuted? Teach the Bible. You want to get flack? You want your reputation to sink in this culture that we live in? Preach the Bible. Preach God's word. It invites persecution. Acts chapter 4, verse 2. This is after the apostles were released from prison and they stand before the Pharisees. And it says in Acts 4, 2, they, the Pharisees, were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people. Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead and then jump down to verse 18 It says then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus See there's an awareness of truth That can bring intellectual enlightenment That can bring you intellectual gain for example when someone explained to me uh, what ketones do in the body And the part that they play in the body, I had an understanding of why it might be beneficial for me to eat less carbohydrates and have more of a high-fat diet. 
It's all intellectual knowledge. It's just head knowledge, right? And so there's this awareness of everyday truth that can be explained to us that gives us intellectual knowledge. But this is the difference with Scripture. When it's God's truth, it doesn't just bring intellectual change. It brings complete transformation. It changes your whole being. It suddenly guides and directs your emotions and your will, your destiny, your future, what you had planned for the future suddenly changes. The life that you once lived is now cast aside and, and, and your whole body is now brought under the submission of the truth of the word of God. It's a dangerous truth. God's truth will change you. It'll transform you. It'll make you a completely different person. And here's the thing. The devil knows this. So he sends persecution and he sends false teachers to lead people astray because he's afraid of the people of God understanding who they really are and what they have in the Holy Spirit. What they have in the forgiveness of God and being reconciled in a relationship with the Father. If they really understood that truth, if the Holy Spirit has truly illuminated that inside of you, you're dangerous. You're, you're danger. You're bad business for hell. And so the devil, he sends false teachers. And here's the third thing about, about the weightiness of teaching is that the Bible makes it clear that teachers will be judged more harshly. Teachers will be judged more har- harshly. And many teachers today are leading people astray. James 3, 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This isn't just figurative. Teachers will literally have a more strict judgment when they stand before God. And God will judge whether or not they were leading people astray or whether they were proclaiming the truth of God's word. That is a scary thought. There's some people in this room that thought, I thought I wanted to be a pastor until I heard that. I don't know. No, when the Holy Spirit guides you, it's a beautiful thing to communicate God's truth to people. First Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says that now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow the deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead or their consciences have been seared. When you look At our world today, it's very evident that people have been led astray by teachings that come from demons, that come from the demonic. Now, we we don't wrestle against people, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but we do wrestle against these deceptive these uh, philosophies that try to lead people astray, that try to tell them there's this philosophy in our world that you can do whatever makes you feel good. You've got one life to live. You, you need to make the most of this one life. Do whatever feels good, but the Bible says that we aren't supposed to do whatever feels good because we have hearts that deceive us, and instead we are supposed to deny ourselves, deny our flesh, deny our comforts, deny our reputation, and lay it down at the feet of Jesus because he will give us a greater reward. But we don't hear that in the world today. And when we start teaching that, when we start teaching people that you are to deny yourself, that the Bible says to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, it's met with hate 
It's met with persecution. And that's what Jesus warned us about. Jesus warned us. Jesus told us, hey, when you get saved and when you accept me into your heart, life is just going to be peachy. It's going to be wonderful. You're not going to have any more trouble. You're not going to have any more persecution. No, Jesus did not say that. He said, you're going to be hated because of me. People are going to hate you. And there's people in, in this generation and the generation coming up that are coming into salvation thinking that life's going to get better. And they haven't been told the truth. That when you say yes to Jesus, you give him everything. You give him everything. And in exchange, you get far more. You get far more, but you give him everything. Another thing about teaching, those with the gift of teaching, and, and those who are even making teaching a discipline, we know that teaching is something that can be developed. It can be, it can be developed. I believe that I have a gift of teaching that I am still developing, and I can tell you now that I teach a lot better than when I was a youth pastor. I made a lot of mistakes and talked about a lot of things I probably shouldn't have. In fact, I was going through some old sermon outlines, and I thought, man, I preached that? I think, that, I think this is heresy. I, I, think, I think this is totally wrong. And so the, the Holy Spirit is still developing my gift, much like he's developing your gift of teaching. That we all start at this, at a baseline. We all start at a level where we can communicate some of the Bible to people. But the more we do it, the more we put ourselves in arenas where we are invited to teach or we can teach others, the Holy Spirit develops this gift. For instance, if you are leading a Bible study, this is an opportunity for you to develop your gift of teaching. There are people who are coming to this Bible study to hear the word of God, and you have an opportunity to unpack scripture for people and develop a gift of teaching. Maybe your, your medium is writing, and you like to write blogs. I know I think of Peter Lafabine over here who is a, a writer, and the Lord speaks to him throughout the day, and so he's got a blog, and he writes these things, and this is one of his forms of teaching where he, he teaches others what the Lord is, is laying on his heart. He's unpacking scripture through what the Lord has given him through writing and posting it online. Maybe you're a mom and you homeschool your kids. You have an opportunity to teach your children. You, parenting, yeah, you don't even have to homeschool. But if you're a parent, you have an opportunity to teach your children the word of God. And some of you may think, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to explain scripture. Can I give you something to do? Join our kids ministry team. And it, 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 it'll show you how to teach the scripture to kids and unpack it. In fact, one of the most helpful things I remember... I remember, I don't know why I never made this connection, but when my kids were younger, they were given this Jesus story Bible, and I was reading the Bible, and in every story, even throughout the Old Testament, it connects every story with the person of Jesus. And I got to the one about um, the Tower of Babel, and I was reading the Tower of Babel, the Holy Spirit began to illuminate to my heart. A truth about that story and how it connects to the Holy Spirit. And I was getting rocked by a children's book. By the children's version of the Bible. And it was just showing me the truth of God that I hadn't seen before. But we as parents have an opportunity to teach our children. And our teaching can be developed in that arena. Maybe you have an opportunity or you're surrounded in an, in an environment excuse me, where you can counsel people. And people come to you for advice. Or maybe 
like my mom is a, is a professional counselor. She has an opportunity to teach people. And sometimes she's restricted in what she can say and what she can't say. But you have an opportunity to teach the love of God to others and to develop that gift. We talked about apostleship, pastoring, teaching. Let's talk about evangelism. Now, this is the gift that many people will use as an escape from sharing their faith. And they think, you know, I, I just heard a couple of weeks ago, I'm not very good at telling people about Jesus. I'm not very eloquent. I don't know the right words to say. I don't have this gift. And so I don't, I leave that up to other people. And if you aren't good at sharing your faith with others, get good. Get, become more familiar with it. Step out of your comfort zone and start piecing your testimony together. Find ways to communicate the gospel to people. This gift is one that many of us have to make a spiritual discipline. Now, I happen to love meeting new people. I'm, I'm very comfortable walking up to a stranger, and I'm very comfortable about leading the conversation into a topic of Jesus and what he's done. In fact, it pretty organically comes up because the first thing that guys ask is, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And then, bam, we're in the conversation. Pretty easy. That's just what you, just tell people I'm a pastor. I'll be right in there. Now, oftentimes, I, I hate telling people that I'm a pastor because I'll be on a plane or I'll be, I'll be somewhere, you know, talking to somebody, you know, the, one of the cashiers at the store will be talking to me and they'll just be like, you know, being themselves, saying some, you know, some choice words and stuff. And then, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, so are you new? They'll, they'll ask me, like, are you new to the area? I go, yeah, my wife and I just moved here. And, oh, yeah, why'd you move here? Oh, I, I'm a, I took over the church. I'm a pastor. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. I, oh, my goodness. Oh, and, and suddenly it gets awkward and people change. And I'm like, oh, just be yourself. Like, don't, don't worry about it. So I often hesitate to tell people that I'm a pastor. But it's a really good lead into the conversation. Now, the gift of evangelism is the special ability to communicate the gospel message, and key word, in relevant ways to believers. We all know a lot of church words, don't we? We get really good at Christianese. And there's a lot of people in our community who don't know what I'm talking about when I start speaking in Christianese. I remember the first time I heard the word apostolic, referring to just like, an apostle form of church government, apostolic. I was like, it sounded really spiritual. I had no idea what the pastor was talking for the entire message. And so if you're here today and that's what it sounds like, I apologize. Come to grow class and we'll break things down, okay? The gift of evangelism in general refers to the capacity to challenge people through various methods. In other words, an evangelist, and don't take this the wrong way, an evangelist is really good at persuasion. They are able to communicate the gospel in ways that are going to resonate with people. Now, it's not, it's not a car salesman, right? It's because they're passionate. They love Jesus, and they've found, they've, they've found a purpose in their life. They've found ways to communicate the gospel because the gospel is relevant to everyone. The good news is relevant to every person. And so a good evangelist, somebody with the gift of evangelism, is good at finding relevant ways to communicate the gospel to people and helping them take initial steps into Christian discipleship. Now, there's a negative connotation associated with the word evangelism, and it may 
evoke images of people on street corners with a sign that says, the end is near, repent. I've always wondered how many of those people have led others into a salvation prayer. I don't know. But the word evangelism comes from a Greek word meaning to proclaim the good news. To proclaim evangelists are good news bringers. Evangelists bring good news. Who doesn't want somebody in their life who brings good news? Everybody wants to hear good news. You have good news to bring to people. If you are if you are frightened or intimidated by the idea of sharing Jesus with your neighbors or with your family this Thanksgiving when you're sitting around a table with them, if you're intimidated by that idea, remember that you have good news that everybody needs to hear, that it brings hope. There's a, there's a good way to communicate that good news, and there's a poor way to communicate that good news, but you have good news. And so we can step into that arena, step into that conversation knowing that I am a bringer of good news. Well, what is the good news? What is the good news that you carry? There's three, let me give you three bullet points. Three bullet points. The good news is that Jesus was God who became flesh to die for your sins so that you can have a relationship with God. Number two, he rose from the dead so we can live eternally with him in paradise. And number three, he sent his Holy Spirit to be our advocate for the time in which we wait for Jesus' return. So you may not have many verses memorized, but if you can explain those bullet points to others, then you can bring the good news. Often the most helpful way to share Jesus with others is to tell them how Jesus has changed your life personally. I'm not a big fan of apologetics. Apologetics is the the ability to defend your faith in an argument. So when it comes to uh, a creationist versus an evolutionist, apologetics would be the art to be able to persuade an evolutionist of why you're right and he's wrong or she's wrong. And I've never been a fan of this because I've never argued anybody into faith. I've never argued anybody into believing Jesus. In fact, in the culture that we live in, when you, when you argue with somebody, they just get more dug into their point of view, right? They just dig in. They double down. I've never argued somebody into faith, but what I've done is I've shared my story because that can never be refuted. Nobody can tell me, oh, God didn't actually do that in your life, Blake. Nobody can tell me, oh, you didn't have that encounter with the Holy Spirit because this is my life. I did have that encounter. And I can share the experiences that I've had with God to other people. I think it would be a good exercise. If you haven't done this already, this is what our, our rooted group, we just finished a, a rooted, a 10-week rooted group. And in our rooted group, we wrote down our stories and we were challenged to condense it into something that you can share in two to three minutes. And when people say, what's your story? What do you often start with? Well, I was born in Seattle, Washington. And I'm like, whoa, that is too far back. Okay. <laughs> Let's fast forward. Come on. Give me the bullet points. But we're challenged to share our story in two to three minutes. And the three parts of your testimony. So if, if you're willing, I would ask you to go home today and write this down if you haven't already. But there's three parts to your testimony that I, I want to challenge you to write down. The first question I want you to ask 
is who was I before Jesus? And be able to condense that into a, a six to ten sentence paragraph. Who was I before Jesus? Talk about the attitudes that you had. The addictions that you had. The selfishness that you were living in. The pride that you were living in. The friends that you surrounded you with. Who were you before you met Jesus? Every one of us has that story. Maybe you received Jesus when you were four or three or you grew up in the church. And you say, well, I kind of was the same person. No. Then think of that moment. Think of that moment where you felt like Jesus captured your heart and you fell in love with him. Who were you before that? I gave my heart to the Lord when I was four years old. I knelt on my bunk bed and I asked him into my heart. I remember it vividly. And so I've often thought, well, I've kind of always been the same person. But there's an encounter I had when I was 18, 19 years old where the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart and I fell in love with Jesus more passionately than I ever had before. I can talk about who I was before that moment and how the Lord changed me. So ask yourself, who was I before Jesus? Second question is, how did God's forgiveness impact my life? How did God's forgiveness set me free from bitterness, set me free from my addictions? How, how did God's forgiveness change my attitudes, the way that I perceive myself, the way that I perceive others and treat other people? What did it do to my pride? What did it do to my selfishness? How did God's forgiveness impact my life? And the third question that you can ask yourself, the third part of your testimony is, how has my relationship with God and others changed since that encounter. How has it changed? And if you can condense that into a two to three minute story. You can share that with people. As you go from here to there. Now maybe you've heard the phrase. Preach the gospel. And if necessary use words. And the first time I heard that I thought that's just wonderful. That's a wonderful excuse to not have to share my faith with people. Thank you. Whoever came up with that. And you know what, the, the, the sentiment of that is correct. That our lives are supposed to model a life that's passionately in love with Jesus. That we are supposed to uh, not live a life of hypocrisy and say one thing and do another. And so it's right that we are, we are supposed to preach the gospel with our lives. But, don't get me wrong, uh, our lives are to be examples. But sharing good news is going to require words. You have to open your mouth and step out in boldness and get out of your comfort zone. Now, some of you are feeling really intimidated right now. All you introverts in the room who kind of liked what COVID did. I enjoyed being at home. I didn't have to see anybody. It was wonderful. I read a bunch of books, didn't have to talk to anybody. Now, for you introverts in the room, you're starting to go, oh, this is getting a little overwhelming, Pastor. You're, you're challenging me to, to step way out of my comfort zone. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Is that we can be strategic about sharing the good news with people. And we can allow the Holy Spirit to bring ripe apples into our life to pick. What do I mean by ripe apples? Well, in Luke 4.35... Jesus told his disciples to look out into the fields and he, he described people as people who are ripe for the harvest. Look into the fields. The harvest is ripe. Imagine yourself going to an orchard at the beginning of the harvest season and seeing unripe green apples alongside 
ripe red apples. You're going to pick the red ones, right? Hopefully. And you're going to wait a bit longer for the green ones to become more ripe. Some of you may be discouraged about evangelism because you've been going after some green apples. And they're just not coming off the tree. You've been pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. It's like they want nothing to do with Jesus. They're just not ripe. They're not ready. Does anybody know a green apple in your life? Come on, I've got green apples in my life too. I've been pulling on that for, for years and it's not coming off the tree. Here's my encouragement to you. Keep nurturing those apples, those people, those family members, those friends, those co-workers. Keep planting seeds, keep watering, keep nurturing, keep showing the love of Jesus to them. And if you aren't the one who doesn't get to pick that apple from the tree, don't, don't be discouraged. You are modeling the love of Jesus to those people. But let me say, you will see great results if you're looking for ripe, ripe apples. Be looking for ripe apples. How do you know if someone is a ripe apple, when it is evident that they need to hear good news, someone who is hurting, someone who is addicted and stuck, can't find a way out, somebody who's looking for a way out, somebody who's sick, they are looking for good news and you have good news to give them. You serve a God who's not dead but is alive and his Holy Spirit is in you and he has the answer to every single one of life's problems, including sickness, including disease, as we've been talking about in this Gifts of the Holy Spirit series. You never saw Jesus spending a great amount of time teaching the kingdom of heaven to Pharisees at the temple. He didn't spend a whole lot of time in the middle of the temple trying to capture Pharisees' hearts. Why? Because they weren't ripe apples. They wouldn't have received the word of God with joy. Instead, Jesus went to the sick, to the impoverished. He went to the ones who were addicted, the ones who were oppressed by demonic. He went to the people who needed to hear good news. Those are the people that he surrounded himself with. And Jesus had a very fruitful ministry. If we had the same strategy, if we were looking for people who were hurting, looking for people to show the love of God to, who need to hear good news, imagine the fruit that could come from your ministry in evangelism. How many of you know that everybody in here has a ministry? We all have a ministry. And God has given you the Holy Spirit. He's equipped you with the gifts of the Spirit. So that you can carry on the ministry of Jesus on the earth today. I'm going to invite Mary up as we close. And here's what I want to do. This last 11 weeks, we've talked about a lot of gifts. We've talked about a lot of gifts. And maybe you are pretty aware of, of the things that the Holy Spirit has deposited in your life. You understand what comes naturally, what comes easy to you. And the rest, and the rest are disciplines. And maybe there's some of you here who still are confused and, and are not sure what it is the Holy Spirit might have deposited in you. And, and I'd encourage you, find somebody that knows you well. Find somebody that, that knows who you are and ask them, what do you see? What are the patterns in my life that you've witnessed as I've been following Jesus? And I'm sure they'd be able to tell you or give you a hint to those gifts that are in your life. 
But what, what I want to do as we close this series is I want all of us to stand up. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit one more time for a greater anointing in these gifts that he would reveal to us. For those of us who are unaware, reveal to us what those gifts are, but also that he would give the rest of us strength to make those gifts disciplines. Now, as we've been talking out throughout this series, I recognize that there are many of these gifts that I need to grow in. And I need the Holy Spirit's help. So would you just put your hands out with me? And if you agree with this, just say amen at the end of this prayer and receive this in your heart. Holy Spirit, we are your children. You have grafted us into your family. You have adopted us into your family. And we didn't deserve it. We did nothing that merits such grace. But Jesus, we're so thankful that not only did you save us from something, you didn't just save us from hell, but you saved us to a greater life. You saved us into a greater experience with your Holy Spirit. And I ask God that right now as our hands are open, would you pour out a fresh anointing of your gifts on this church? Because your word says that we are your body. And in order to effectively be your body, all those pieces and all of those gifts need to be operating, need to be in effect. So help us honor one another. Help us recognize the gifts on each other's lives. And help us to bring your truth to our community so that other people can experience your love. Fresh anointing. Pour it out fresh. Fill us up again in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're real, that you're in this place. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, church.